sweeteners. But bethink you, if the sieur did this to all his tribute payers, what would he have for himself? One drop in the ocean is as nothing, and one grain of sand on the shore is nothing. But many drops and many grains, eh? Then they all turned and gazed once more at Brieux, and thought of the great sieur de Brieux, as of an ogre who sat in his stronghold and saw come to him the drops and tricklings of the lifeblood of peoples until they filled a mighty cup of which he might drink at his will. Tribute we have always paid and must always pay, murmured the greybeard. It is the law. It is destiny. Had there been travellers in those days sufficiently curious to land upon and explore it, anyone so seeing La Marais would have marvelled at its ability to pay anything at all to the Sieur de Brieux in the shape of tribute. It was an island of about one mile in length, and rather more than half as wide as it was long. There was scarcely a tree upon it, and its vegetation was rank and coarse. It stood somewhat high out of the sea, and a cup-like depression filled up a considerable space in its centre, extending from a high ridge on the northward to a flat, sweeping beach which fronted the mainland on the south. On this beach stood the little town and bit of harbour, the town no more than a collection of stone huts, the harbour no more than a protecting wall. Inland there were a few cots here and there, there were sheep, too, and goats and cattle, but over everything hung the grey mist of a grinding poverty. People, it is true, ate bread in La Marais, and occasionally tasted flesh, but for most of them the source and hope of life and sustenance lay in the sea, which hemmed them in from the outer world. The great source of everything was found in the herring fishery. Let that once fail, and there would be no tribute money for the Sieur de Brieux. But within the memory of the oldest man of the island, the herrings had never failed to come. Year in, year out, they came like clockwork. No one in Lamarais had ever saved money. Generation after generation, the folk lived from hand to mouth. There was always a hungry look about their eyes. The prevalent expression of their faces was that of people who are uncertain about tomorrow's bread. Store of money there never was in the island, except when the headmen scraped the tribute together. When it had been scraped together and placed in the leathern bag in which it was to be carried to the mainland, some of the principal men were allowed to see it, to lift the bag, to dally beside it for a few moments. No one had ever seen so much money in a lump sum before. It seemed incredible that so much could be brought together. Yet if the headman's tales were true, the Sieur de Brieux had chests full of not silver, but gold. In the year 1523, Gaspard Chalandrie, who had been headman of La Marais for some thirty years, died, and Pierre Ploucard was made headman in his place. Pierre was then a man of nearly forty years of age, and he had never been away from the island. Other men, old and young, had, some of them having at various times accompanied the former headman to Brieux. 
and it might have been better if one of them had been chosen in Gaspar's place. But Pierre owned cattle and sheep, and had the only mill in the place, and he was a man of a domineering nature, liking his own way, and so he was placed in power. And that year, for the first time, the herring fishery failed, and the folk of La Marais saw famine staring them in the face at close quarters. Hunger is the most compelling thing in the world. The people of La Marais began to eat their small resources. They ate all the cattle. They ate all the sheep. They ate the goats. Finally, there was nothing to eat but such fish as the men caught, and in the end, Pierre Ploucard called the population together. It is no good going on like this, he said. We have eaten the cattle, the sheep, the goats, and now we shall have none to breed from. It was not a wise thing.